0: It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC.
1: Well, good afternoon and welcome to Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm on the left side, and we have Curtis Lee, who will be joining us at the top of the next hour representing the right. Thank you so much for being part of our day here. A really great afternoon outside. We've got Rich on the other side of the glass helping me get through this show and still learning my way. We had a great week here at WABC Talk Radio 77. Some of the ratings show that more and more New Yorkers, more and more people in our area are listening to this station. We're leading the way in news, leading the way in opinion, leading the way in people like me learning to do radio each weekend. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. You can stream it on WABCradio.com or on the Red Apple Podcast Network. If you mix the show each week or you want to refer someone to it, go ahead. Anywhere you get podcasts. You can get our shows immediately when it's done at 4 o'clock. I think it uh, uploads, and so you can do that. It was an excellent week here. You know, it, there is this notion that, you know, terrestrial radio, radio is a bygone thing. It's a little bit of a dying art. It's true there's an enormous amount of competition, lots of things you can watch, lots of streaming apps that are out there. But there seems to be still an appetite for talk, uh, particularly around local issues, and that's something that John Katsimatidis has focused on ever since he took over here at Talk Radio 77. And every so often, and I'm learning this because I'm new to radio, every so often they do a snapshot, and just like anything else, you want to see how you're doing. And it turns out that, remarkably well, Sid and Bernie in the morning are the fastest-growing talk show. I believe they're the number one. Our news segments in the morning, the number one news segments, our opinion uh, um, uh, shows are doing very well. And even this show, with your help, Um, has been growing each and every week, and I'm grateful for that. Also a good week for the Wiener family. Um, One of those rites of passage that goes on usually a few times a year under normal circumstances, we got a chance to do for the first time in, I guess, about two and a half years, and that is Jordan, who's 10 years old. He's in the fourth grade. He had – his class had a parent's day where the parents could come and visit the classroom, and you might say, well, why hasn't that happened for a couple of years? Or well, for those of you who have kids in school, you know that for the most part, the schools have been locked down. The kids have been allowed back in. Teachers have been allowed back in. But for the most part, they've made every effort to kind of keep the hallways as unclogged as possible. And so he had a chance to visit his class. That was really meaningful for me. You know, I'm an older guy um, and, uh, you know, experiencing these things with Jordan, particularly since, as many of you know, I missed some time with him when I was away. So it was an extraordinarily meaningful day for me, and I really think Jordan got into it showing me around his classroom, um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, Also got a, a little bit of mail about the show, most of it very positive. Now, there is a recurring theme. We've now gotten several letters about this. A couple of callers have called about this, that the show hasn't been living up to the combative title that we've chosen for it, Left versus Right. It hasn't been living up. To that bumper that leads us in about gladiators of I don't, I don't even know what it is, heavyweight champion left and right because a lot of the show has not been like that. I mean, a we've kind of agreed with each other, and also the the segments I've had a chance to do, and and I want to again thank Curtis um, for both helping me learn how to do this stuff, but also letting me try it out on my own at the top of these shows. Um, is more you know apt to be called meet me in the middle or? You know, Let's get some context, even though one one writer suggested we called it Wiener on a Roll. I think that it is because I have made a decision that I really am not that interested in having shouting matches with people on the far left or the far right. I think for the most part, as I've said repeatedly, for the most part, people are partisan. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm not saying that people are right down the middle and don't have identification, even though – the fastest-growing identification nationally, and it's true here in New York as well, is people who identify as independents, neither Democrats nor Republicans. But I have come to the conclusion that for me to enjoy doing the radio show that I've been doing and also to engage listeners the way I have is to talk about issues and to try to go a little bit deeper. We've done it with the causes of inflation. We did it on the Hunter Biden laptop, did it last week with immigration, going to try to do it again, uh, Doing it again this week. but. You know, maybe there is a point. That at some point, we, we we do away with that bumper, and we just kind of call it what it is, which is more like trying to get some context. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm a partisan Democrat. I believe what I believe. But I also know that as I listen to talk Radio 77 throughout the week, by and large, right-leaning um, analysts, right-leaning commentators. But I think that sometimes I hear an issue that gets raised repeatedly, that because I'm someone who doesn't, who doesn't necessarily consume right wing content or conservative content? I hear issues and I want to learn a bit, a little bit more about them and going deeper into them frequently leads me to a place that says, you know, there's some right on both sides. And that's where I came down last week in immigration. Some of you were not happy with my rulings on the Hunter Biden laptop that, that the people that said look bad for Hunter are exactly right, but the people that thought it attached to Joe Biden were wrong. But I'm going to try to do that again this week. And this week's issue is a, another one that kind of came up. Coincidentally, um, just both what what I heard on the station, but more importantly, what I was hearing out on the street. And I'll tell you what happened. I'm walking home with Jordan from school, and we walk past one of these guys that is selling incense on the street. And Jordan says to me, "Dad, is that is that marijuana?" And he's ten and a half years old, to give you some context. And I said, "No, it, that's not that, that. That's just incense." However. If I smell marijuana in the street, I'll tell you so that you know what that you know. Again, I'm I'm feeling my way on how to educate Jordan about these subjects, and um, but by doing that, I realized in the next block and a half walking down from 14th Street from Second Avenue to Avenue A, I said to him four times, "Oh, by the way, that's the smell of marijuana," and I realized that marijuana. The smokable form is much more pervasive than I recall it being just walking down the street where I went. And and I decided to start looking a little bit more into this subject because I do have to start to think about what I tell Jordan and also to prepare him for some choices that he's going to have to make. And I want to arm him with this. And this is a good time to have a conversation because recreational cannabis, probably by the end of this year here in New York City, will be available in shops. It's available starting this past week in New Jersey. Um, frankly, around the country for medical use. It's in states, Democrat and Republican, blue and red alike, medical use is permitted. Eighteen states have it available for recreational use. Um, and 13 states have, uh, in addition, have decriminalized it. And so some of this subject, some of this is a function of this issue has moved on pretty quickly. And it's moved on very quickly. As a politician, I couldn't imagine when I first got into politics in the 1990s, and even when I even when I was forced to resign in 2011, being in favor of legal recreational marijuana was a pretty out there position. Now it's pretty much down the middle. And I want to talk a little bit about concerns. Start with the easy part. I understand, and I think it's fairly easy to argue that that cannabis for medical use has a place in our society. Um, but before I stipulate to that, I should tell you that it is still considered by the federal government, by the FDA, a Schedule I narcotic That is un, that is has no medical use, that is unsafe, that is prohibited from transporting, permitted from, from possessing it, permitting from selling it. That's the federal government. The federal government is behind on this, but keep that in the back of your mind because that status that it has under the federal, under the federal law is very important for the rest of this conversation. But for medical use, for people who have to choose now between potentially addictive opiates or aspirin or something else, for them to be able to, for nausea, for PTSD, for other things, to be able to consult with their physician and have access to marijuana, cannabis, to THC, to whatever it is, I can see that argument and I can see that that's an informed decision that people have to make, and they're trying to deal with a real need that they have to reduce their pain, to reduce their discomfort, to be able to get on with their lives. And the second issue that I think that there's broad agreement on is the notion of decriminalizing it. I mean, the fact is that overwhelmingly the people that were getting arrested for possessions of small amounts of marijuana were, were black and brown people. And even though the usage of marijuana by whites and by people of color is about the same by percentage. The number of black people getting arrested was eight times that of whites here in New York City. Hispanics, five times that of whites. In Manhattan alone, it was 15 times. What was going on was thousands and thousands and thousands of stops of people that were finding small amounts of marijuana, and we had in prison many more people than we really needed to for relatively minor things, and... The fact that this was illegal, the fact that these small possess- possession was an illegal, it was causing a real distortion in the way. And by the way, if you think, OK, well, those are the only complaints that were coming in. there were just no. The same numbers of complaints that were coming in about people smelling pot in the hallway or about people smelling, you know, seeing someone smoking a joint. The same in in, in communities all around the city. And yet the enforcement of these laws overwhelmingly disproportionately coming down on one side of the ledger. So the idea of decriminalizing and saying, "Listen, we're not going to put people in jail for this anymore," makes some sense. But the th- subject I want to talk about today is this idea that by the end of the year, there are going to be stores in our neighborhoods that are going to sell gummy bears, they're going to sell chocolate chip cookies, they're going to sell tinctures—these things that, that dissolve on your tongue. They're going to be oils that are going to be sold um, that have cannabis that are cannabis-based that have levels of the chemical that makes people high. Um, and there is enormous amount that we don't know and haven't figured out yet despite that. Uh, we don't really have great research on how addictive this substance is. We, we know that you probably can't overdose from it, but there has been no really good peer-reviewed data on whether it's addictive. I read one journal article that, that interviewed a doctor that specializes in helping people with addictions. And, and I've shared with you before that I suffer with that. I've shared with you before that I lost my brother Seth to addiction. And this doctor said, when asked, is there any evidence that, that marijuana is addictive, said, no, there's not good evidence of that. He said, however, my waiting room is filled up with people who are smoking a lot, who have found that it's detrimental to their lives that are having trouble doing without, and they need more and more of it in order to get the desired effect. In other words, people who seem to be addicted. We don't know, for example, what the proper doses are for people. I know there's this slogan that many people who, who talk about this, who advocate on behalf of, of recreational use of marijuana say, well, you should start slow and go small or small and slow or something. Basically start with very small amounts and see how it feels. Well, I can't think of any other drug that we allow to be sold where we just say, see how it feels and let us know um, what what impairment looks like. You know, you can't drive a vehicle impaired, but unlike alcohol, where you can look and say, all right, if you have 0.8 blood alcohol, a breathalyzer that shows that we know that you're impaired, it's not the same with the levels of THC in your blood. For example, you can smoke marijuana or take an edible and then traces of it are in your system for weeks later, but you're not at all impaired. On the other side of the coin, you could take something before you get in a car or take something before you show up at work and could possibly be impaired. And we don't have any really great way to measure that, nor is the language around what impairment even is. You know, their employers can't fire you in New York State after um, um, for, for for using marijuana. They can't fire you in the state unless you are impaired. But when you have a conversation about, well, what does it mean to be impaired, the language is really not very helpful. Uh, you basically say just you'll know it when you know it. Um, and then finally, and perhaps most importantly, we don't really have a sense about what the health impacts are or not. I mean – We know that when it comes to medical marijuana, there have been some studies. There have been some studies in Israel. There have been some studies in other countries that show the efficacy in dealing with some diseases. But here in the United States, since this is a a Schedule I narcotic, we've had no studies done of this because no one one can get uh, research funded to do it. No one can possess it long enough to study. No one can give it to subjects. And the one the one body of information when the National Academy of Medicine when looked at all the data of all of the articles that had been written, basically came to the conclusion that cannabis use, and I'm quoting here, is likely to increase the risk of developing schizophrenia and other psychosis. The higher the use, the greater the risk. And here we are in New York City dealing with the tragic instances of people having these psychological breaks and what they mean when they're on a subway platform, or what they mean if they have a handgun in their hand and the like. So, these are some of the questions that have come up. I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because of my background with addiction. Maybe it's because of the experience my brother had. Maybe it's because raising a 10 year old in the city, or maybe it's because the rise of crime recently in New York has gotten me thinking about this. But I'd like to hear what you have to say because this is something that has been widely supported in a bipartisan fashion. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, 800 848 9222, 800 848 WABC. On the other side, I will tell you if an employer is allowed to fire someone if they come smelling, come to work smelling like pot. Thanks for being here. This is Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. See you on the other side.
0: Talk radio seventy-seven. W-A-B-C. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
1: Welcome back. I'm Anthony Weiner here on Left Versus Right. Curtis is going to be joining us at the top of the hour. He and I are going to have some conversations about the issues of the week, including the one we've been talking about so far today, which is the soon-to-be-legal recreational use of cannabis here in New York. Um, We're also going to have a conversation a little later on in this hour, a segment that I think we're going to start doing called Why Anthony Should Care, some of the issues that are getting talked about a lot as part of the I don't know, the culture war that's going on in the United States of America. And this, this, uh, this episode is going to be why Anthony should care about the Walt Disney Company and their relationship in Florida. But we've been talking about the, the coming legalization of cannabis for recreational purposes. And, and again, I think that there is a very strong argument to be made. And I think there's virtual consensus in the country that it should not be a criminal product. And that people should not be arrested merely for having small amounts of, of marijuana and soon uh, – they, they, that, that part is already – that part of the law has already changed. It's already been decriminalized. You can possess it. You can have some of it in your – you can grow some of it in your home. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you can smoke pot wherever you want. Um, you still can't smoke it anywhere that you can't smoke cigarettes. And if you have a rider in your lease that says you can't smoke in the building, you can't smoke in the building. And there are, there are all kinds of places that can, can limit where you, you, consume, mar- you can consume marijuana or cannabis products. The problem becomes when you have product that's legal, what rights are, do, do folks have in limiting the effect, the, how you are with, when you're affected by it? And I guess that's a comp, a, a jumbled way of saying if you consume a cannabis product and you show up at work, uh, uh, there are laws that say, well, you, it's perfectly reasonable to fire you if you are impaired. The, but unlike with alcohol, there are not good, clear, measurable standards for whether someone is impaired or not. You know, it's more or less. You know, how does it? How did it? How does it look? Or, or is it something that you're trying to do that that you're not able to do because of your use of this cannabis product? And it's also not the kind of thing that you can easily test for. Now you can do a blood test and you can do a urine test, but my understanding, and I sh- this is a good place for me to pause and stipulate, I've been trying to you know I made I've spoken to some experts. I've been trying to do as much reading as I can. Usually, what I try to do in these segments is I kind of take the position of I'm going to do all the reading that I can, so that you don't have to, but. I stipulate to the idea that I, I may make mistakes and I encourage you to call in at 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC if you think I've made a mistake or if you think that I'm I'm characterizing something the wrong way. But as I was saying that it is it is possible to test someone's blood for the, for the presence of the chemical that is in, in, in cannabinoids. It is possible to take a blood test to do the same thing. But there is very little – Scientific consensus about X percent in your blood means a certain amount of impairment. You could have traces of marijuana in your system for weeks after you've consumed it. If you are someone with a certain body type or with certain tolerances, you might be able to have a certain amount in your blood that has no impact at all. So it's going to be very complicated for employers to try to figure this out situation out, particularly when it's not a function of, say, medical use, where you can say, look, I, I is the employee. I essentially have this disability, which is what what an an illness would be. And I need to consume it as opposed to an issue of someone using it recreationally, which is going to be legal. And then there's the the bigger problem. And I was having a, a couple of conversations with people this week where this is a this is something that people might disagree with. I believe there's going to be increased use. I do. I mean, now, other people have said to me, why would there be? It's just they're going to get it legally. I know that in Massachusetts, when they recently had the beginning of recreational sales, there were literally lines around the block around these shops. People were going in and giving it a try because I do believe that when the government says we're going to authorize the sale of a drug, there is a a presumption that, okay, it has – it, it It's it, – there's some level of vetting that's been done. It is not the same when um, when you're just – when you're going to a a, a guy in Tompkins Square Park and, and buying it on a corner. I do believe it's different. And the other thing I've heard a few people say and I'm interested in the feedback. Again, I don't consume the, the product. Um, I do know or I believe – who knows? Maybe my mom and dad will call in. But I do believe that it was a gateway drug for my late brother Seth. I do believe that he went on to do other things, but there's not science around that either. But I do know this, that I know that I've had conversations with people who are not drug users who have just idly said, I'm going to try it when it becomes available because I've heard A, B, or C about it. I've heard it relaxes me. I've heard it makes me easier to sleep. I've heard it deals with pain and anxiety. I've heard these things, and I just want to make it clear. There is scant research around these things. And um, so I would like to hear the f- feedback from people uh, uh, about this, this issue. The the board is lighting up a bit about it. So I'm going to take take some calls to get some. There's another thing that um, we got in, in, in the mailbag this week. A few people commented that the calls have been really good in terms of putting me on the spot and making me think about things. And I agree. They really have been. So let's go ahead and, and, and get started. Dan in New Jersey, get us started today. Thanks for calling in.
2: Thanks, Anthony. Uh, By way of background, prosecutor for 15 years, 30 years, attorney, criminal defense, personal injury. I've worked in many of the impoverished communities in the state where I reside, and I can tell you, albeit anecdotal, not based on any empirical data, I've seen it ravage young men and women, period, marijuana use. And yes, I've seen it become a gateway drug. I've seen marijuana rage. I've seen changes in dispositions and personalities. I went to great lengths when I was a prosecutor, not to prosecute kids. Instead, offer them uh, alternatives, such as uh, inpatient, outpatient, any type of counseling, things of that nature. So uh, I think you know in your heart of hearts from what you're saying, you know that it's problematic. I'm somewhat disappointed that it's been legalized for recreational use. I think it's going to damage a tremendous amount of young Americans, men and women. In all communities, all walks of life.
1: You know, but Dan, you're, you're in a unique position to answer this question. You, you know that the, the scaffolding, the foundation for kind of the acceleration towards, towards decriminalization is the clear racial biases that have come in in enforcement of marijuana laws. Have you seen that in your criminal are – you, are you, or you said you're a prosecutor. I mean, do you, do you stipulate to that, or do you think that that's been overblown?
2: Overblown, period. And I'll, I'll be candid with you once again, as the fellow has been doing it for almost thirty years. Generally speaking, when you're caught by the police, it's not by design. It's because, just like Sally Field, when she said, uh, "You really, really love you, uh, love me," when she was accepting her Academy Award. Well, you you really want to get caught when you're caught by the police. They tend to be uh, very reactive as opposed to proactive. And generally speaking, what I've seen. And when I worked with the cops, it's just amazing. People would just do blatantly criminal and illegal things in front of the police, and they got caught more by accident than, than by design. Yeah. So I think it's overblown. Well,
1: it's, I, I appreciate Dan and thank you for calling in. Call us again. I mean, the, the experience we have had in New York, though, in this, at the height of stop and frisk, 400, 500, 600,000, getting filled out, which is police officers stopping people on the street And not offering not giving them any summons, not giving them any – the stop and frisk around trying to find people with these small amounts of marijuana really did have a disproportionate effect on on communities of color. But that was an excellent call. Thanks again. We have Henry. This says Regal Park, but is it Rego Park in Queens?
3: Right, Rego Park in Queens. Great to hear from
1: you, Henry. I'm well. Thank you for calling.
3: So I've been the police officer uh, for approximately 30 years. So I just want to say one thing, when the police stop it first, it's never on the purpose of looking for marijuana. Never. It's absolutely not. It's usually a larger incident and they happen to find it. A police officer will never target someone because they have a nickel or a dime bag. So that's my one, first point. My second point is what's your thoughts on limiting the use of recreation drugs by profession? For example, how many people are going to be impaired if you're a surgeon or you're a pilot? Because if you take an edible, you don't smell it sometimes you don't even see it what's your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean we touched on that and by the way thank you for your service and i appreciate you know look the the challenge that there is is like let's say you're a truck driver and at the end of a shift you want to have a beer um we wouldn't think twice about that well what if you're a truck driver at the end of your shift and you want to have an edible There are circumstances where that would be – I don't know. I mean I don't really know the science, but that would be completely appropriate. It's legal in the state of New York now. Why wouldn't you be able to do it and still do your work? The question becomes when are you impaired and when are you not impaired? And unlike other things – and again, a lot of this conversation to me comes back to the fact that what we don't know could fill a book. We just don't know enough to be able to make these these decisions because it's such a new subject and rather – then kind of get the answers first. And I just want to say this one more time so people understand. Why is there no science around this? Well, there's no science around this because the federal government that usually does the research, funds the research, supervises the research and distributes the research, they are out of the business. They basically say this is a Schedule I narcotic... It's ridiculous that they do, but they have to – as a matter of fact, if you have a pot business, a marijuana business, you can't even deposit the money into a bank because the bank is federally is federally chartered and they won't handle any money that's, that's drug money. That is the level to which the federal government has abdicated its responsibility. I get that. I understand why the states are in this space. But the question becomes, does that mean we go headlong as a state – into selling it on street corners and to n- answer questions like the one that was just asked about, are there professions you should just be able to say no? Um, let's go to Roseanne on Staten Island. Roseanne, thank you so much for checking in.
4: Yeah, hi. Hey, I, I, how are you? I'm, I just want to say that there is tons, tons of, I don't know if you would call it science, but proof that marijuana leads to other things. I'm a very social minded person. I care about people. I care about children. Um, a lot of lot of a lot of children grow up feeling very insecure, very alone, and that is a couple of the reasons why they turn to friends that are using drugs. Let me try pot. and unless you are that full cake that is made in the oven with all the ingredients, you're going to fall apart. So if you're going to start legalizing something and having all our children that are emotionally disturbed or need help and they don't even know it yet, you're going to have a society which we already have in the school systems that we live in today freaked up kids, and the kids are our future. I don't care about the money, the the adults, and, and everything else. I care about the children. Right, I'm socially minded, and and everybody's caring about everybody else.
1: No, I, I I hear you, Roseanne, and thank you very much for calling. Call us again. Let me just say this about Roseanne's point: one, she's just not right that there's science that it's a gateway drug. There's a lot of anecdotal information, and there's people have personal experiences. But let's let's go to Paul in Newberg. Paul in Newberg, uh, you you have a you have a perspective on this. Let us know what it is.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Uh, I smoked marijuana recreationally for about 15 years, and I never had any cravings for it. I never desired it again after I quit smoking it. And it never led me to do, like, cocaine or LSD or anything like that. I think when I drank, I wanted more alcohol, but when it came to marijuana, no, didn't have that.
1: Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. I mean, look, this is – you now heard in back-to-back calls two people who had two different experiences – and had two different conclusions. And I and the, the the point I want to make is I don't believe we should make policy based on anecdotes. And would let, let, let me make this easier for you. Is there any other drug that we would make readily available without a prescription that we would do with such little science? If you turn on if you TV, you turn on an advertisements here on seventy seven talk radio uh, uh, WABC. You hear sometimes advertisements for for drugs. And they have all kinds of disclosures about the harms that may come, and about the, the about the, the 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 cautions and about dosages and things like that. And we just aren't we don't have that kind of information now. There is the point that gets made frequently, and I it's a good one. That hey, for years people have been smoking marijuana. They're gonna they smoked it before these laws. They're gonna smoke them after. Let's get it into a regime that is at least a little more formalized, a little more structured. That gets some tax revenue. I, I understand that. That's true. But even that doesn't hold a lot of water because the strains of marijuana are more potent than they ever used to be. The ways that the THC is being delivered is more diverse than ever. And there's no doubt about it that when you put put something in gummy bear form – you are trying to appeal to a certain type of audience. Well, I really do. We're getting a lot of great calls about this, and I want to continue the conversation. We're talking about the oncoming, uh, um, legal recreational sale of marijuana and cannabis products here in New York City and New York State. A little later on, Curtis Lee will be joining us. We'll be talking a little about the controversy around the Walt Disney Company. WABC Talk Radio. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you on the other side.
5: My friends sit around every evening and they worry about the
0: times ahead. W A B C It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
2: by lightning sounds pretty frightening but you know the chances
1: are so welcome back my name is anthony wiener on the left curtis lee on the right will be joining us at the top of the hour we have been talking about the soon to be legal recreational use of cannabis products here in new york it started in new jersey just this week in time for the 420 holiday and i guess i've been laying out my position which is uh, there's a lot i don't know and i admit that that I think decriminalization had to happen. It was be it was a small amount of marijuana, people being arrested and losing their livelihood and their lives being destroyed because of that was not right. That's, I think, fairly easy to determine. I think medical use of marijuana, we have a call coming up about that. I think that's something we can kind of agree upon. But the recreational use, when there's so little that we know, a few of the calls have come in already, have agreed with that. We're interested in what you have to say. Dial in at uh, Talk Radio 77, 800-848-9222. 800-848-WABC. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Wendy in Long Island. Wendy, what do you have to say about this?
6: Um, Well, what I wanted to say is nothing good can really come out of this. Um, I was talking to your call screener about this, some evidence to show that there's a link between schizophrenia and smoking marijuana. And when you legalize something, you just get more of that behavior. And I really think we need more people using substances that could just wreck up their lives. We don't want to encourage it. And that's what this law
3: does.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Wendy, the the, the research is not that clear. There is an increase in 9, 9, 911 calls and emergency room visits in states that have legal marijuana for people complaining of schizophrenia either as a primary symptom or as a secondary symptom. But it's not at all clear, though, whether it's causal, meaning that the marijuana or the availability of the marijuana is what caused it. But there, of the data that's out there, of the information out there, there seems to be a link. But the, the, the other question, the other question is, are people trying to treat their schizophrenia by smoking or by consuming a, a cannabis product? Are they trying to treat it? And so it's not really a cause effect thing. but you've raised like the, the uh, uh, an important point. we, don't really have a lot of data one way or the other. But when we are dealing with a with a, a country and a city that are dealing with problems of mental illness on our streets anyway, it seems that we should be extra careful. Um, Peter in Greenwich Village, you've been waiting a while. Sorry to keep you on hold. Thank you for checking in.
3: That's fine. Uh, uh, sir, may I suggest that you take a walk into Washington Square Park any day or night. Twenty-five kids. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever, are selling drugs already, and no one's stopping them. One other thing, sir, you know you've had a rough background. Could your rough background be attributed to the fact that you were smoking dope?
1: Well, thanks, Peter, for the call, and and let me take the second part for you. No, marijuana was never part of my thing. I've smoked it a grand total of one time, and I don't want to sound like Bill Clinton, but I didn't like it. I didn't really like it. Um, but uh, as I told you, it did it. It did influence my my brother Seth, who I lost to addiction. And about the idea that it's available, I got you. Don't have to go to to Greenwich Village. You don't have to go to Washington Square Park or Thompson Square Park near where I live. When you get off the, the, the get off at Port Authority, now there are guys that co- open up card tables selling marijuana nubs right there, buds right there on the street. It's already started. And one of the arguments made for legalization is to say, listen, this is going on. It's kind of like the prohibition argument. This is going on. Why not bring it out of the shadows, regulate it, get revenue from it, et cetera? I understand that argument, but I do think when you legalize something, there are people who say, hey, what the heck, I'll give it a try, who might not otherwise. John in White Plains, thank you so much for calling in on 77 Talk Radio ABC. Hey uh,
6: you were talking about the uh, truck drivers uh, taking a little puff or uh, I do after, after their shift, but we come under the federal uh, motor a uh, testing guidelines. So, but even though it's uh, legal in the state, it's still illegal with the federal. So we come under their their guidelines, and we can't you know we can't smoke even though you know.
1: Well, you can't now. Let's so let me see if I understand this. You can't consume even when you're not on the job.
6: No, we can't because uh, they still do uh, random testing, and and um, you know with the federal they they right. set up the random testing, and like if we get into an accident, something gets injured, they send you for the test right away, and Got it still it's still you know with the federal they they regulate our uh, the way we you know.
1: Can you can definitely. you have a cu- can you have a couple of beers when you're done with your shift?
6: Oh yeah, it's definitely beers, but not uh, we can't uh, not the,
2: the the pot yet.
1: Right. So, so but, yeah, but that so. No, I just want to say thank you for calling in, John. What I guess what the point that advocates for marijuana would say is that the damage that's done by alcohol, and they just would say maybe smoking is in this category and vaping is in this category, far outstrips the harms of marijuana. And so why not make that, that legal? And, and I think that if we had more information, I would probably agree with that. Um, uh, Helena, is it Helena or Helen in West Orange, New Jersey?
4: Or. Okay. okay. First of all, um, as you know, uh, it's legal in our state now. And uh, second of all, I've heard Eric Adams say a number of times that he wants to start rooftop gardens growing marijuana or growing ca- whatever it is. Uh, ca- ca- Cannabis. Can it? Cannabis. Yeah, ma- yeah. Well, you got to
1: grow now marijuana. Are you going to
2: grow different strains or what?
1: So, so good, good question. First of all, he, he, he got a little bit over his skis because he suggested doing it on the roofs of a housing authority project. You can't do that because those are federal – those are federal buildings, have federal funding, and it would be a violation of the law, federal law. And and But it's an interesting – this is a perfect example. We have the federal government and, and the previous caller talking about the rules around truck drivers. There is – so wherever the federal government touches something, it's very clear in their view – this is still a violation of the law. You can't transport it over state lines and, and, and the like. Um, so we're not going to be growing it on the bill on the roofs of housing authority buildings. But a bigger question is, well, what if you're caught consuming on a, f- a housing authority property where it's technically illegal? And the answer is if a federal prosecutor wanted to make a name for himself by going after these these things, going after the businesses that they could up to now – Under President Obama, under President Trump, and now under President Biden, it's generally been the policy of the Justice Department. They're going to leave. They're going to leave this alone. What they really should do, both sides of the aisle should get together and say, let's figure out a way to study this. Let's figure out a way to do some real solid research. Let's figure out a regime that we're going to allow this or not allow it. And let's clear up these these things once and for all. So the states aren't doing this on their own. Uh, George and Rockland. Go ahead, buddy.
5: Hey uh, Anthony. Uh, so listen, okay. I oppose. Uh, well, let me put it this way, okay. I uh, I have no problems that people want to smoke it, okay. I have a problem what it does to people. I have a problem what it does to society. I think that uh, people that using it, okay don't really have the concept, okay, it's like a fun things to do, you know, it feels good, whatever, okay, but what it does to the brain and to the body of people, uh, you know, it's diminished the capacity of young people, uh, you know, it is the impairment part of it, okay, and as they say, it's a gateway drugs. okay, uh, is a disastrous. okay, it destroys families, it destroys communities, There is a reason why they say don't uh, drink or, for that matter, take any drug. That's including uh, marijuana, okay? Because it impairs people, okay? Would you like, for example, to walk on a street, and here comes this bus in Manhattan, you know, the guy, uh, you know, used uh, marijuana or something, and he just keeps driving through uh, the red light, okay? Well, and you're walking there, and he runs through you, okay?
1: Yeah, I, guess... I appreciate it, George. But, you know, that's one extreme, but let's remember something. There are people that are addicted to opiates right now, and maybe this is something that people would consume that might might help them with their pain that is not an opiate may you know you you take the you know maybe it doesn't destroy people's lives maybe it helps them deal with with their ailments you know we have someone on oh, let's go to tom in bergen beach tom you have some experience with medical marijuana we want to share that with us
0: yes
6: sir i'm a i'm a veteran and a victim of childhood abuse and i've had uh etsd for a very long time when i was younger i started using marijuana and um, eventually it led to other things, but uh, I'm not sure if it was that or because of my mental illness, because of the the, uh, the things that happened. Um, but I noticed, I really stopped it for a long time. And then when I, got, when I was in the Army, I didn't smoke at all, and I didn't take any gummies or anything like that. And I noticed when I got out of the Army, I was having some real bad PTSD issues. And um, a friend of mine said, why don't you try out cannabis? And I said, oh, man, that stuff is too strong. I can't do that. And I tried it and it actually worked very well for me. Now the thing is, alcohol, you were saying something about alcohol is readily available and advertised. You know, it's one of the most prolific drugs known to man, and it has very, uh, very ill effects. Has very ill effects on man, or well, people. And um, you were saying that you know there's no no other out there's no other product that does that. Alcohol is. It's a drug. Alcohol is a drug. The other thing is, I wanted to say is saying you do all the reading, so we don't have to is a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> everybody should do as much research as possibly can, as they possibly can. You know, it's bad for your lungs. It, it can inhibit your inhibitions. And if you decide to use cannabis, you should be mindful of the effects. You know, uh, and like, like you said earlier, Mr. Wiener, uh, start slowly. And remember, different strains can affect you differently.
1: Right. There well,
6: that's to help you, though.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. certainly helpful. And that's, that's a, a great call for us to go to with break on. I mean, look, there are people that, in, and we should we should thank Tom for his service. There are people that are trying to manage, whether it be, physical ailments, whether it be emotional distress or it be emotional illness, that have found great, great relief from cannabis. And that's something that you should honor because, uh, you know, this the pharmaceutical industry has their own ideas and they got thousands and thousands of people hooked and dead on opiates. And we should have an open mind on trying to use this product, which has been around, which has naturally grown and been around for thousands of years. When we get back, we'll, we'll wrap up this issue and also we'll hear at the top of the hour, Curtis Lee will be joining us. We'll be talking a little bit about some of the issues facing New York and also the Disney controversy. Maybe he, maybe you, maybe someone will try to teach me why it is as a progressive I should care about this issue. It's been a great conversation so far. Thank you for joining us on Talk Radio 77. We'll see you on the other side.
0: 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
1: Welcome back. My name is Anthony Weiner. Uh, Curtis Lee will be joining us at the top of the hour. We've been talking about. The legal recreational use of cannabis, of marijuana, of gummy bears and cookies laced with uh, with chemicals that make you high. I don't know how else to put it. And it's been a great conversation so far. And I just – not to put too fine a point on it, but this really does defi- defy traditional left versus right, right? Because I think many people on the right might say, look, part of believing in smaller government, limited government, letting individuals make decisions – is permitting the free sale of a product and letting the marketplace kind of decide, letting consumers learn what's best for them. On the other side, there are many people who believe that decriminalization, allowing this to be readily available is because too often this is the excuse for the police state and other things like that. And And so there has been a real headlong rush towards decriminalization, towards legalization. Now, the final frontier, the recreational use of these drugs, when there's so little that we know about it. So far, we've heard calls on both sides. I've expressed my general concern about this given how little that we seem to know but many people um believe that this is the right the right way to go let's get a few more calls uh, before we get to the top of the hour when curtis will be joining us curtis is going to try to persuade me that i should care about what's going on between desantis and disney i can't seem to muster much enthusiasm for it but let's go to evelyn and queens evelyn thanks for checking in
4: Yeah. Hi, Anthony. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to tell you that to me, the bottom line of all of this is money. And the states just think that they're going to get a windfall from these sales. And from what I see, what's going on in New Jersey, this stuff is very expensive. So the uh, street dealers are going to be able to undersell it very easily and they're going to have a whole new influx of people that may want it. So uh, it's just money to me. And then it starts from there and you can talk about social issues and everything else. I have a question for you it's a stupid question what's with mayor adams and his finger i've seen that wrapped up finger and for weeks now at every interview that he has did he break it or is it a fashion statement
1: Uh, actually or it might be that's his finger that he uses to gesture to the press every day and he needs to use it let's go to jeff in jersey city
3: hey anthony i called about the pot and uh i wanted to say something first about you in support of you uh and in our great city new york i supported you for mayor as you ran against uh the other uh candidates but most of all you were running against the democratic party they hated you anthony because you wanted you had a mind of your own as you defined yourself like an ed koch democrat and with a strong will and a bright mind and so much i supported you and Barack Obama, of all people, and Andrew Cuomo said, you're a bum. You belong in jail. I hated them, and I still do. But the the um, the, the pot thing, I smoked when I was a teenager once. I said, this is not for me. And it's more like a common sense uh, issue, Anthony, like alcohol and tobacco. Where alcohol don't belong, it don't belong in the hands of a teenager that's 17. Uh, tobacco don't belong on sitting on the bus next to somebody blowing smoke in your face. You know what? A lot of common sense. Also, pot, you know, you could just like um, in the old days, you bought pot on the street Somebody could uh, sprinkle chemicals into pot. You know, if it's not strongly regulated by the co- government, uh, like in a pharmacy at the drugstore, you could smoke a joint and drop that on the street. You don't know what's in it. You know, so it's really a common sense issue. Uh, people like you, we need. I, I miss I miss you uh, for New York, for our great city.
1: Well, I, I appreciate Jeff. It's a very kind call. Well, I'm, I'm here now. You can catch me every Saturday between uh, 2 and 4 right here. I appreciate the call. Let's get a couple a couple more in. Uh, Annie in Pennsylvania. Ann or Annie, forgive me. Ann. Ann. Go ahead, Ann.
4: Uh, Anthony, When I was, I'm 62, but when I was a teenager, I went to the Bronx High School of Science. And I used to smoke with my friends. So we would share a joint, say like three or four people. And I cannot tell you how impaired it made you. So when I hear about legalization, uh, it scares the hell out of me. Because somebody who's high on marijuana is more dangerous driving than somebody drunk.
1: That's that's great, and I, I went to Brooklyn Tech, so you were, uh, you were a rival of ours, but thank you very much for sharing your experience. We have a, only time for a couple more, but I want to get them in. A lot of people have been waiting a while. Tom in Hell's Kitchen, go ahead.
5: Hi. Uh, I just wanted to say that Amsterdam, since the 70s, has essentially legalized marijuana, so there should be some studies or information out there on what the long-term effects are. To society
1: yeah, so it, that's true. There are some studies out of Amsterdam. there are some studies out of israel, Israel, a lot of the research that's been done is around medical marijuana. Amsterdam has some experience, but you know we have traditionally not relied upon studies that are we you know our fda and I know there's been some controversy around this now, but our FDA has been the gold standard of trying to study stuff and requiring really rigorous standards. When approving anything for um, for domestic use, and they haven't done much of anything. There has been some data on stuff, but but let's let's remember another the challenge that we have is that when you study it in some place like Amsterdam, there are a lot of elements of American society that the the studies would not translate. Look, there are people in summary who swear by the beneficial effects of marijuana. Who say that this should not be? You know, there was a, a caller previously who talked about impurities in in drugs. Well, one of the benefits of having this be a regulated, sold thing in the United States on the streets, on on the, the the stores in New York, is that that it will be tested. You will have analysts coming in to figure out how much THC is in there, make sure there are no impurities. That's an element of bringing this out of the shadows, which I think should not be ignored. And I don't want to claim. That and Although a lot of the calls have, have, have intimated this, that it is an overwhelmingly negative outlook that people have on this. This is a popular idea. Making this – this is not something that's just a New York thing. not something that's a blue state. You have, you have states like Virginia, Alaska, Maine, Montana, Arizona. You have lots of states that are going in this direction. And I guess that the, the, the point is we just don't know for sure – about so many of the big questions that you would probably want to know if you were going to legalize any other drug. On the other side of the coin, there are people that every day, within the sound of my voice, who are getting comfort from taking this, who say this is something that grows in the ground. It's not something that the government should be stepping in on, that it's been around for generations and generations, that Native Americans have had this as part of their of their regular lives for, for hundreds of years. And that there is lots of information that shows that it's had benefits. It's also going to bring in tax revenue. It's also maybe going to make enforcement of illegal sales easier because people have a place to go to get it legally. Maybe over the course of time, because we're doing these sales, we can l- learn something scientifically that we're not able to learn when it's an illegal product. But this is a case – where I don't think ideology and ideology alone dictates where you stand on this. A lot of this is personal experience, and I have said a few times, the personal experience of explaining to my 10-year-old what the dangers are and, and having to say that soon it's going to be legal, the personal experience I've had of, of watching the experience that my late brother Seth had with it, the personal experience that I've had of sitting, you know, with my hockey buddies and having someone say my niece sore and someone else saying, well, soon you're going to be able to get legal cannabis and the guy saying, sure, I'll go get it. And that it was the extent of his of his medical advice um, leads me to believe that we're moving too quickly. But like so many things, I ain't necessarily right. And I recognize there's a lot of information maybe on a future show. We'll bring on some of the people who are advocating strongly for this, so that they can make a, a better case than I have on their behalf. But at the top of the hour, we're going to hear from Curtis Lewa. He and I are going to talk about some of the issues of the day. He actually has a lot of experience with this particular issue. Maybe he wants to weigh in on it. He also, we might talk a little bit about uh, why should Anthony care about Disney, DeSantis, and some of the culture wars. This has been a great hour. we got another hour coming up. Thanks for joining us on WABC Talk Radio 77, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC.
7: Anthony, is this your choice here for it this is. music? It is. Tiger Straits. Man, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's, okay. it's do you, okay. Let
1: me ask you, do you do you break Chris Han's chops about his music? Or, or of course. This, oh, no. you do? Okay, good. So I shouldn't take it personally. Of course. Uh, okay, I good. mean,
7: it's universal with good. me. But good. it leaves you a little mellow, this music. I must tell you that I went to a place that you spent a lot of years in, that I spent years in, earlier this morning to visit with my uh, youngest sons, Carter and Hunter, in Forest Hills. Oh, of course. And I had a chance to uh, walk around the neighborhood with Hunter before he had to go for a soccer game. And actually, uh, it's been dominating the news. I was outside of your uh, former apartment building at one-ass can as the Long Island Railroad was passing by. Have they taken
1: down the police tape from my uh, old apartment yet? No.
7: (laughs) No, no. no, What they have are the scaffolds. Uh, I mean, this city is filled, Anthony, with scaffolds everywhere. Once they go up, they never come down. They never come down. And it really impairs the aesthetics, the optics, because uh, these are really gorgeous old apartment buildings. And they scaffold, 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 scaffold. So anyway, I left uh, with my youngest son, Hunter, the, uh, the same building you had left. And I'm walking around. And actually everybody is, oh, that horrific murder. And uh, Forest Hills residents are uh, still on edge, even though the murderer was caught. Uh, The handyman who had gone in uh, to his, uh, what we'll we'll say, his uh, girlfriend's uh, basement. Uh, She let him in at about 12.35 at night. And then the horrific murder that followed, stabbed over 60 times, stuffed in a hockey duffel bag, only to be dragged nearby to the, uh, uh, the exit there by the Jackie Robinson Parkway off of Metropolitan Avenue. And a neighborhood like that has never really had anything. Of this type uh, occur before, so the uh, shock waves are still reverberating through the neighborhood because um, it did put uh, Forest Hills in the news. Uh, it was the number one crime blotter story, and knocked uh, uh, knocked Frank James uh, right out of the box. We don't even talk about Frank James, a guy who just a week before had shot ten on the um, N train over at Thirty Sixth Street. And then eventually got arrested. But
1: let me ask you, how do you explain the fascination that we sometimes have with these cases? I I mean, I don't know, but I would wager we probably had another gruesome murder in the city somewhere at the same time. I mean, these things happen. They're tragic, but they do happen. It seems like sometimes they just capture our imagination. Is it if it's a, a, a young white woman in a quiet neighborhood, it becomes more of an interesting issue than otherwise, because it. It does seem like we turn the switch on some of these cases and it seems like we're fascinated by them for a week and then we move on to the next one. But would there have been other gruesome cases that we don't seem to pay much attention to? There have, but this is
7: like a novella. This is like a soap opera because remember you have the mother, she's a housewife, she's at home with her thirteen year old son.
1: By the way, they call the thirteen year old first. Remember, the first wave of news was he was being questioned, yes. the kid. Yeah.
7: Oh, he was taken in in handcuffs right. to the 112th Precinct, which you're well familiar with, right. questioned all day and eventually released because they couldn't make a connection. But they already had some leads that it may have been a guy who had been the uh, house handyman for quite some years. Uh, and uh, the the father, uh, the husband, he had been away in Oregon with his older son looking at colleges. So the shockwaves were such I think because this occurred at like one o'clock in the morning. It is a quiet area very at one quiet. o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh because you're right by the gardens. And that's a pretty exclusive, very quiet area. It's police by itself. Uh and it's a great place to live if you're gonna afford it. So naturally, the dynamics were that a lot of people were saying, gee, that could have been me. That could have been our neighborhood. And gee, is it a serial killer? It turned out, obviously not. It was a crime of passion. And we had something similar occur at WABC many, many years ago under different management and ownership. Uh, I was doing mornings with Ron Kuby at the time, and we had a great news guy, George Weber. George Weber lived in Carroll Gardens on Henry Street. Beautiful brownstones. He was very social with the neighborhood. He had invited all of us to attend many functions at his home in which he had neighbors come. And it was quite an eclectic group because, you know, mostly conservatives from WABC, mostly liberals from his neighborhood. And he was a bon vivant, a raconteur. He was like always, yeah, you know, the life of the party. But we don't know about people's lives. And it turned out that he too was killed in a similar gruesome fashion stabbed close to 60 times. It turned out it was dubbed the Craigslist murderer because he had solicited sex from a younger man on Craigslist. Uh, They had developed a relationship, and then all of a sudden uh, the situation turned, and I remember the trial having gone to a few of the sessions. uh, They had to have a retrial. The guy ended up getting 25 years. But to this day, every time I hear of a similar circumstance, I think to uh, our own George Weber because um, uh, at the time of 9-11, he left the studios at WABC when we didn't know what was happening and plunged right into the belly of the beach. We thought he was dead because, remember, there was no cell contacts. Everything was down. He was an amazing news person. But you would never expect Harold Gardens, Henry Street. You know how brownstones are there, what they go for, very bucolic, very quiet. So I think that's why those kind of crimes, it just grab our imagination. Right.
1: But, I mean, it's it's worth noting, generally speaking, murders happen between two people who know each other. Yes. Like it's not a random thing. And usually when you see these types of things, I'm no expert, but when you see these types of things – which someone has stabbed numerous times, put in a bag, dump, like there's something going on there beyond just someone walked in on someone while they burglarized their, their home. But it, you know, just, just to put a point on this, that street, you know, it was, it was at the end. You walked it to the end. You in the middle of the night, you can walk that entire way, not cross paths with anyone, and not even much car traffic in in the evenings. There, it's a very quiet, beautiful neighborhood. It, this wasn't actually in the gardens where they found the body, but it's where they live. Yes. They live, but yeah, it is. It's a very quiet part of town. It, it, the story had a little bit of everything, right? It had a husband that was, at, you know, suspiciously out of town. They had text messages. They had, you know, the 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 husband being quoted as saying, "We're safe now," as if he he somehow knew not he had knowledge of something about it. Um, But it's it's a look, it's a tragic case. And as is always seems to be with these things. Now we turn the page and move on to something else.
7: Well, there's still some lingering things, because it turns out the handyman who had been here in this country about 20 years, originally from Mexico, lived in Richmond Hill, Jamaica, apparently was quite a good writer. Uh, He would send letters, you know, love letters and such, obviously not just to his victim, but to other women. Uh, so while I was there, I stopped in the Starbucks because you know everybody stops in Starbucks there and it was true there was a New York Post story that said the guy used to linger there and he would put love letters in the tip jar, hoping the female baristas would look at the lo- the love letter and some uh, sometimes hook up with them uh, on two occasions he just, without even knowing the female barista, proposed to them in the store. So they would call the 112th Precinct, say, this guy's stalking me. He's disturbing business. But apparently the guy was like a fixture in the. And then we find out he was here illegally. And so naturally a new layer to the story, because as we talk about uh, the removal of uh, Title 42, the fear that so many people will be flooding into our country. People were immediately extrapolating on that. But I will tell you this, Anthony, aside from that, just walking around, I normally, when I visit my sons, I'm there at night. So I don't really have a chance to go through the neighborhood, especially 71st and Continental, which is the major hub, Austin Street. My God, the number of storefronts that are closed, which is a sign of the fact that our economy is still not recovering in some parts of our city. The number of homeless and emotionally disturbed, because, again, if you break up the encampments, which uh, the mayor has decided to do, these people don't just disappear. Remember, only five of them actually took the offer of the city to get shelter. So they scatter. They go on the trains. They go into neighborhoods where, again, they can find Money, people who give them money, food, which they eat out of the uh, ash cans, the garbage cans, and water, water, which is most important because they dehydrate, but also the level of garbage in the streets.
1: You know, so I always believed, and I believe this today, that empty storefronts are the most important economic indicator in the city, not employment, not tax revenues, because empty storefronts bring a couple of things. One, there's no one there who's legally responsible to clean the streets, so they get messier. Two, Homeless people figure out the places that are closed that are safe to be out in front of where they won't be whisked away. Yes. Three, the ramifications that it has, that's one less place that you get your first job, one less neighborhood place that's vibrant. And if you're a a shop that's next to an empty store, you feel the impact as well. So it is a leading indicator. Well, out of a leading indicator, it's an indicator of the economy. And just the same way in the neighborhood we are in Third Avenue, the Upper East Side, even long before we started to see the real downturn in the economy, we started to see vacancies in those types of places. In the outer boroughs, look, when Manhattan sneezes, the outer boroughs catch cold. It's it's a problem in these empty stores, which is why I think we really need to be mindful of the need to help small businesses. The rents that they're being charged, there is still this, this feeling by people that own these properties that they can wait and hold on. The other thing is... More often than not, the landlords of those properties are absentee landlords, meaning they're not from the neighborhood. They're not living above the store like it used to be when our parents were growing up in, this, in these neighborhoods. So they have very little impetus to come in from northern New Jersey and lower their prices or from the island and lower their prices. On, and so they sometimes sit much longer than maybe they would need to if there was a more reasonable pricing of it. But I haven't been out there in a couple of months. Obviously, forest sales, it's so, so near to my heart when my district went from being mostly Brooklyn being mostly Queens, seized the opportunity and and lived. I was kind of in the slummier part of Forest Hills Gardens. I would say Forest Hills Gardens like it was fancy, <laughs> but as you know, I'm the part literally right against the train tracks there at one Askan. Can. Um, but um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's still an amazing community, but you're right. The vacancies that are going on there and other shopping strips in the boroughs is really starting to become a problem in more ways than one. And
7: today uh, is when you get a chance to go and see homes that are for sale. we got a lot of real estate agents. They put out their signs. They put out the balloons. And they set up the appointments because the owners, uh, uh, the occupants, are probably planning on moving somewhere else. Uh, so I stopped at a few of those locations. The owners, uh, the people who uh, occupy the apartments, uh, they were planning on moving out of state. Uh, I didn't get into a long conversation. But a lot of Asians, a lot of Asians were queuing up, obviously, bidding against one another uh, to potentially be the occupant of that building or that condo. So there's tremendous turnover there. I would say the big problem there, these um, these landlords are waiting for the big franchise store to come in. Uh, franchises can afford to do that. But because of e-commerce, because of Amazon and other package delivery services, it's kind of tough to get a mom-and-pop shop into a brick-and-mortar store any longer because they're being edged out of the market. Because, look, Amazon can deliver whatever product you want within a 24-hour period. Very, very difficult for the very small owners and operators to <laughs> yeah, compete that's, with that. Yeah, but
1: I want to tell you, we have been talking about the coming elimination of the small sh- store for a long time. Now, far sales is, is a weird one because we have had our share of name brand stores, the Barnes & Noble's, before, you know, you, you may shake shacks. We've had our share of those mixed in with the neighborhood guys. But I got to tell you, n- New York small businesses have always found a way to kind of endure because they a, provided service and still there are a large number of our listeners, a large number of New Yorkers who like the ethos of getting out and walking along the neighborhood shopping shoppership, getting a couple of things here, a couple of things there. A couple oh, yeah. things. So, I mean, they've figured out a way to compete. There is no doubt that competing against these 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 ones that don't have a real brick and mortar presence is difficult but the but our um, the the new York economy has been remarkably resilient in the boroughs like we have written it off so many times it's true you can't find a cobbler anymore you can find a pizzeria still but it's very hard to find you know a tailor like you used to be able to find on every neighborhood shopping strip hard to find a toy store or a bookstore that can survive uh, you know against the against amazon um but but there' you know i I still am bullish on On the the neighborhood shopping trips, but New York as an institution, New York government, whether through tax policy, regulatory policy, sanitation department, business improvement districts, they need help. And I think that a smart mayor and a smart legislature leans into trying to figure out ways to – Well, you know, with the stimulus
7: money uh, evaporating, all the stimulus money that came in from the federal government, taxable revenues are going to be down because we have less people in the city, less people visiting. We have empty storefronts. I got to assume that with a $100 billion budget or in that proximity, it's going to be very difficult to be able to to actually through all the various taxes at a level to make that. So that's why uh, legal marijuana, the uh, sale of recreational use of marijuana and the ability to tax it becomes so incredibly important. But when we come back, I want to discuss with you my conversation with cops at the 112th Precinct who are telling me the problems that they're going to have doing traffic enforcement. That means when they show up in an accident, let's say a car is wrapped around uh, a tree and somebody was injured, you know, a pedestrian was injured. There's a certain set of uh, principles that go into effect when uh, they think that you have been uh, drunk while driving that will not apply if uh, you're impaired because maybe you were smoking pot. I'll break it down for you and Anthony uh, Weiner. We'll we'll work right off of what you dedicated the first hour to on this. uh, It's your appointment radio, Curtis and Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner, solo, 2 o'clock on Saturdays, and then I join him from 3 to 4. And if you miss any of it, I recommend if you uh, uh, go on the podcast to hear Anthony Weiner and the many callers discuss the legalization of the recreational use of uh, marijuana, all the pluses and all the minuses, exclusive here at WABC.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. So,
7: yeah, this is a good move, music, uh, Anthony Weiner, for the constitutional that I talked the stroll, the walk with my youngest son, Hunter, all morning long before he had to go off and play uh, his soccer match, something I've never looked forward to uh, watch because I hate, I loathe soccer. Kickball, kickball, instead of smash-mouth American Hey, so football. i got to
1: ask your advice on something related to that. So today, Jordan, in his hockey scrimmage, Got into a little bit of uh, scrap. You know, hockey is a weird sport in that we, at his age, there's contact, but you're not supposed to be checking. You're not supposed to be checking. But it's not like football that every down you're banging into someone, but there's contact. Um, And trying to impress upon him when it's appropriate to push back, when it's appropriate to just pat the guy on the head and move on and do something different. And he got into a legitimate back and forth with this one kid. To the point that at one point he drops the stick and goes chasing after the other guy. Now, oh. they're, they're wearing a lot of gear. Like, no, no harm is going to come of it. Um, and on one hand, one lesson I want to teach him is, that look, you know, you've got to stand up for yourself. And on the other hand, hockey is a physical sport. And if I had a third hand, it would be, look, you're not responsible for his behavior. you got to try to keep your cool in these circumstances. Um, and I, I ruled for just letting the coach handle it. Like not being one of these parents that wait and just – and the coach, and she's great. She's a former Olympian, um, gave them both a stern talking to but basically said Jordan was more at fault because it wasn't part of hockey what he was doing. When you're chasing after someone and hitting them in the head, it's not hockey. But I got to start learning these – I mean you've got more experience in this than I do, like trying to figure out how to be a good – A good lesson teacher, but also don't put too too much of a finger on the scale when they're doing these things. But in soccer, there's none of this, right? They don't bump into each other or scrap. Well,
7: well, they do, and obviously they push off, and you know they get they start they start kicking, and so if they don't have the shin guards on, boy, you know that's like hitting your shin on a coffee table. It it hurts. (laughs) Uh, But I will tell you what it reminds me of uh, in lieu of the passing of Guy Lafleur. The great Montreal Canadian, um, because those were the fly guys. Those were the hockey players uh, who couldn't afford to get into a fight because you couldn't afford to get them into the penalty box. You always had the enforcer. And if I, if my memory serves me correct, because it was easier for me to follow the sport then, there were only six teams. You know, I was a Ranger fan, so we were always with Ber- uh, Baseman Bertha. The Boston Bruins, you had Gordie Howard, the, the Detroit Red Wings. You had the Toronto Maple Leafs. You had uh, Montreal uh, and the uh, Chicago Blackhawks right. uh, with Hull and Makita. A lot easier to follow. I believe the enforcer on the Canadians was John Ferguson. He was not a French-Canadian. He was a good old-fashioned English Canadian who would drop his gloves and purposely beat the hell out of you if you picked on any of their fly guys. Because remember, the Montreal Canadiens were known for just flying up and down the ring. So in order to stop him, you'd want to board him. You'd want to hit him. You'd want to slow him down. And here would come John Ferguson off with the gloves. And a lot of the teams just didn't have an enforcer who could take him on. So they don't have enforcers in uh there's none, there, there, hockey, there, there is
1: none of that at, at, <laughs> at Jordan's level. Um, there's none of that at, at, uh, at Jordan's level. And speaking of Gila Fleury, we lost Mike Bossie, arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time. Uh, this year, but anyway, you you were saying when you were in Forest Hills, did you really swing by the the, the local precinct and ask them some questions? Well,
7: there was shifts change, so there were a lot of the uh guys and gals who were already off duty, and where were they going? the Starbucks, so it made it a lot easier since I'm there with the Starbucks uh, and my uh, son, he wanted all kinds of goodies what so I think they call it Mary's on Austin Street and the lines backed up you know uh, i can't have that kind of sugar any longer because my blood pressure will go off the chart. Mm-hmm. So, while I'm waiting for my son, I'm talking to these off duty cops, and they were having a discussion about what are we going to do if all of a sudden there's an accident, hypothetically, Queens Boulevard, where there are already, all, always accidents, at times, there are deaths. Um, and let's say, in fact, there's a car that hits somebody, a pedestrian crossing, and the person unfortunately dies. Now, there's a really serious accident scene. Normally, if we thought the driver was impaired from alcohol, it's a breathalyzer. You don't take the breathalyzer right away. Boom, your license is suspended six months. But with pot, that's difficult. Breathalyzer isn't going to tell you anything. If you take blood from the person who you think is impaired from having uh, smoked or maybe uh, had edibles, uh, you could have marijuana in your system for about a month. So a blood test could literally be checking you for marijuana you used two weeks ago. And they said, boy, this is going to create havoc. It's not like a drunken driver test. And then I said, well, when can you uh, actually act on anything when you stop a car? They say it has to be the burnt smell of marijuana. So if all of a sudden I smell the pungent odor of like uh, marijuana in the car, I can't stop and do a check of the car. I can't go into the trunk. I have to have burnt the smell of burnt marijuana uh, in order for me to check only where the driver is and the passengers can't go into the trunk. So they're saying it's going to create problems. And then in terms of home use, you can have five pounds of pot in your house. And the reason they let you have five pounds is, again, well, you may be home growing. And, you know, that includes everything else that grows with the pot. And you're permitted to have three ounces, which is a lot of pot. I mean, you're talking about there maybe 180, uh, 200 joints you can roll, and it costs a lot of money, and there's going to be a lot of taxes. So I don't see how they're going to be able to stop the black market because the black market has no taxes, and they always and they already have the built-in customer base. If anything, I see the state-licensed stores. Creating new customers, especially uh, coming in from places where you can't legally buy pot.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, all of these are reasonable questions, and this is part of what we devoted the first hour of the show to the fact that we're kind of going blind. And, and, and yeah, what, you, what your offer, your guys, the officers you had conversation with, they're onto something. Like, we've gotten very comfortable. Everyone knows if you stop them on the street, hey, what is the legal blog alcohol level? 0.08. We all know it. We all saw those signs when we were in college. One shot equals four beer equals don't drive, whatever it is. We don't have that for consumable cannabis. We just don't know whether it's smokeable or or gummy bears or whatever it is. We just don't have that. And when you're dealing in law enforcement, you're exactly right. There is no breathalyzer right now that says you're impaired. And since you are allowed to be smoking marijuana, the fact that you smell like marijuana on your clothes – is not really probable cause of anything, they, well, because that's now a, a lawful thing to do.
7: This is the option that they have, they explained. If it's a serious uh, vehicular situation, and you are assuming that the driver is under the influence of marijuana, uh, you have to call in a specialist. It's either in Queens North or Queens right. South. I'm sure that's true of Brooklyn, the Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island. And they administer a Draeger test. I said, well, what's a Draeger test? Never heard of that. They say they put a swab in the mouth to check to see what the THC content is because that's something that would be there because you just recently either ate inedible or you were smoking marijuana. And they say that's really all they have. But, again, you've got to wait for the person to come well, to also, administer the drug test.
1: And, but, and they can also do a field sobriety test with the whole finger on the nose and all these other things. But the challenge is going to be, and defense attorneys are going to get very good at this – at saying, yeah, you might have observed him swerving between traffic. You might have observed, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was operating compared b- because of A, B, or C. Um, and by the way, we're sitting here a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Probably these things will be resolved. Someone will come up with technology that allows you to test it. There'll be a unit. There will be some kind of agreed upon national institutes of standards of technology. The federal government, Curtis, is absent in themselves from this space. They won't fund any research in it. If you're a a university, you you won't bother taking research grant money for this. You can't put the money in the bank anywhere. There's a risk that you'll be prosecuted. There's a risk you'll run afoul of other programs within the federal government. But we're eventually going to work it out. But for the time being, it's going to be a little bit of the Wild West. Now, the final point you make, I, I don't know the answer to this. I don't believe that it is that someone who buys something now illegally will necessarily go to the shop. But on the other side of the coin... Someone who is inclined to be lawful and who doesn't deal in black market anything, who might want to go try it now. Like I, I described in, um, in the last hour, a buddy of mine who was in, a, in the locker room with me after playing hockey said his knee was bothering him. Someone chimes in the end of the bench, hey, you should try cannabis. It was, worked for me. And he says, okay, I'll try that when it becomes available. And, you know, who's not a criminal. He's not someone who deals in, in, in illegal drugs. So it might be that we're increasing the marketplace among people who want to stay law-abiding – does that harm the neighborhood guy in Tompkins Square Park? Probably not. We don't know. I'm less concerned about that. That's the marketplace working itself out than I am about just what the heck all this is, how we do law enforcement, how employers – if someone walks in here to 77 WABC Talk Radio and smells like pot but doesn't show other symptoms and, and John Katsimatidis or Chad wants to say, hey, I'm nervous about this guy functioning in the – it's really a difficult spot for the employer to be in. He can say, "I don't want you smoking in the building." Sure. He can say, "You can't be impaired." But you know, I've heard you on the overnights. You sound pretty darn impaired a lot of the time, and that's what makes your show so good. Mm. Um, so <laughs> I'm not 100. So it's going to be very complicated. In, in the months to come, and I think we're going into this really half-cocked. In well,
7: experience. also, to eliminate the black market, you already have storefronts that are open, these small storefronts. Right. Especially in the Lower East Side down on Stanton Street. They call them uh, sticker stores. You go in there, and they have all the different brands of pot. You don't pay for the pot. You're paying for either a book or a videotape. So let's say you give $40. So basically, this is coming with the product you bought, which is either a book or a video. You're going to have to stop those storefronts. There are guys already setting up card tables, selling marijuana at Times Square and other locations. It's out in the open, and you have all these home delivery services. You have apps. You have Yelp. Yelp which will, uh, Yelp doesn't deliver grades. cannabis, does it? It grades the, uh, the, the type of cannabis and the ability to have it delivered to you. Really? So it's it's gotten quite sophisticated. My feeling is in talking to the police, they don't want to enforce. They say, boy, this is a deep, dark hole. Uh, it just seems that no matter what we do, it's going to be a continued problem because we we're not going to have the back of our uh, white shirts, meaning uh, the superiors in the police department,
1: when we do intervention. Well, you see, this is what's puzzling to me. A few people have told me and I haven't seen them personally. These card tables opened up right by, by Penn Station, by Grand Central, with people selling um, buds right on card tables,
7: right in the open.
1: Right now, that's not
7: legal. No, none of this is legal when you're selling pot.
1: Right, but I'm saying that okay. Once once this becomes you know available in the debate, they think maybe by the end of the year. I can understand law enforcement being, okay, what's legal, what's not. Right now, there shouldn't be any question. And, you know, they're obviously selling it those places. The kids are probably – the Bridge and Tunnel kids are probably coming in. They're probably selling it to them right there. New Jersey's legal as of this week. I think we really are entering a, a period where I hope that we're going to learn best practices. But I think you're right. I think that the message that's going out to law enforcement is, listen, this has been decriminalized. I'd rather have not have to deal with it than have to show what percentage of it he was selling, what he wasn't. Um, and I'm concerned about what that means, particularly now when crime was relatively low. Maybe we had the luxury to try some of this stuff out. I'm nervous about what it it's sure,
7: right in Jersey. You talk about Jersey. Attorney General tells uh, law enforcement all over the state that as long as they're not using marijuana in its edible form or smokable form on the job, they're OK. You, you want to pump, pump, pass off duty. Now, individual mayors have come forward and say, no, 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 no. We're going to continue to test our police officers.
1: What a mixed message that is. Well, how, and it's the same way. If you want, and I'm not, you know, I, I believe in, in strong gun control laws, but if you want to get a firearm, you have to say on the form that you're not a user of drugs. Like, you don't, that's a reasonable question to ask. But in fact, it's legal in many of the states that people are right. applying in, and right. they have to make a decision between. Basically, attesting to one legal thing or another legal thing, you know. So it it is complicated. All of this gets solved. Well, not solved, but made a lot easier if the federal government gets off its haunches and does what they should. Well, do one, the research. One thing
7: we know that if you're down in Disney World, they have their own police department. They have their own independent entity. Entity. It's almost like uh, they have a court. Uh, they're in charge. At least they were in charge. Up until DeSantis suddenly saying, no, you're going to be like everyone else. No special status, no special entities. So uh, let's discuss that up next because you apparently don't really care all that much about it. Why
1: should I care, honestly?
7: Yeah, but this is Mickey
1: Mouse and Minnie Mouse. This This is the new segment, Why Anthony Should Care. Right. This (laughs) is like
7: mom, apple pie, and the flag. Desantis versus Disney World, and Iger is waiting on the bench to come back and save the Disney franchise, off the bench. (laughs) As we continue here, as we go from the news to the cultural to the legalization of recreational use of marijuana, and now to Mickey and Minnie Mouse and trying to teach. Our own Anthony Weiner, why he should care what's happening in Descent. Land exclusive to WABC every Saturday from 2 to 4. Your first hour is Anthony Weiner solo. Then I join him for the second hour. If you've missed any of this, just go to the podcast. You get all the great podcasts of WABC hosts and hostesses at WABCradio.com. That's WABCradio.com.
0: Talk Radio 77 W.A.B.C. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 W.A.B.C. debate. Heavyweight Slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 W.A.B.C.
7: Oh, superstition. Excellent. Excellent Excellent choice here. Excellent choice. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, just as superstition is performed by Stevie Wonder, who is sight impaired, there's no way that you can be sight impaired when you're in the heartland of Florida in Orange County, outside of Kissimmee and Orlando, because there is a city within the city. It's called Disney World. And I don't think any of us were ever aware in the past that when they originally chose, when uh, Walt Disney chose uh, to uh, set up his new Disney World, he had met with officials in Tallahassee, the state capital in Florida, and got special exemptions uh, almost to the extent that the Vatican has, even though it's right there in the middle of Rome. You know, it's like one square mile, but it's an independent and autonomous country, so to speak. Uh, Disney doesn't necessarily have that kind of leeway, but when you look at the fine print, you begin to see, wow, they have their own police department, their own enforcement procedures. When they want something done, they have an easy pass in Tallahassee. They can speed through all the regulations because they're an ever-expanding entity that hires so many Floridians that generate so much uh, money uh, into the coffers of state government. And DeSantis has decided, okay, I'm taking on Disney World. And obviously it isn't just because of the state. He'd like to run for the presidency of the United States. And this is all part of the cultural war. And you look at Disney and you say all through the decades, they have walked a tightrope. They have locations in countries like, as an example, if you're gay or lesbian, they'll lock you up, might even kill you. And they they avoid getting involved in those cultural wars. They involve getting in, yeah, they avoid getting involved in cultural wars in the state of Florida, where if you remember, Tropicana orange juice with Anita Bryant got knee deep in it and Anita Bryant lost her career over that because she was perceived of as anti-gay. So it's always been a third rail. But I think DeSantis sees this as a potential way of showing that he is a national leader. He could be president. And he can take on these big entities when it comes to cultural wars. And quite frankly, this uh, CEO who replaced Iger, he just seems to be fumbling and stumbling. His own workers are upset, his own lesbian and gay workers and transgender workers. Nobody seems to be happy because now Disney is totally absorbed into
1: these cultural wars and they don't really have a way out. You know, first of all, let me just say this I, I don't see you as a culture warrior. You seem much more grounded in the here and now and to trying to solve problems, and you have opinions about things, but you're, you don't seem to be someone that you know seems to take great pleasure in these culture wars you're, you're like' there's real com- there's real on the ground stuff that we should care about and and the thing about this subject that puzzles me a little bit is essentially why we care. And, I, and, and uh, this week, Barack Obama gave a, a speech about social media and some of the deleterious effects that it's had on our society, and he had some ideas when we should. But he made an interesting point when he introduced the subject. He said, you know, a generation ago, you would probably not be too upset what happened in Orlando, Florida, unless you were in Orlando, Florida, because you didn't hear about it. You were in New York. You probably didn't care much if you lived in Montana what happened in the Castro District of San Francisco because you didn't hear about it because of social media didn't exist. You went about your life. And as far as what's going on in Florida, I get that this is dominating. You know, in these beautiful studios we have here for Talk Radio ABC, we have screens up. Every network is up so we can keep track of what our competitors are doing. All the news programs, liberal and conservative, are into this issue. And I can't for the life of me figure out why I should care. Now, if I lived in Florida and my government was doing things that i thought were deleterious to my children's education or they weren't respectful enough of my identity or did something to discriminate against me i might be upset i might go vote for a legislator who did a b or c i might be i might write a letter i might protest i might even have a radio show down there where i complained about it but sitting in new york i'm having trouble figuring out why i should care and as far as what disney has done and let me see if i have this right sure. because you're much more read up on this than i am sure the the state of the state of florida had a regulation it wanted to put in place we're going to call it don't say gay some right. of the, the language in it putting us you know how it was branded putting that aside for a moment that many employees of disney thought were bad and they made noise about it and they particularly made noise about it because their bosses the disney company had given heavily to just about every state legislator that had voted for this thing including the governor of the state and in the case of the governor of the state Disney also raised him a whole bunch of money.
7: Yeah, well, Disney takes the position. Like, remember when Trump was running for president, he was asked, "How is it you can give money to Hillary and give money to Bill?" He goes, "I give to everybody." Exactly.
1: And by the way, so when asked about why he was being so quiet by his employees, his constituents, the CEO said, "I'm sorry, I didn't. We tried to handle this quietly by dealing with the state legislature because we're donors. Let's say we tried. Well, that didn't work. But to my my." LBGT uh, community who works for me, I'm sorry, I regret it, we stand with you. That was his crime. Now, well, it,
7: sh- is a, it isn't a crime, and I'll tell you what, it's it been absorbed into a even larger issue about parental involvement and teachers and education. Uh, obviously, we saw that in the gubernatorial run in Virginia. We saw that this week, Randy Weingarten said, said basically uh, families... You can't be interfering with what teachers are doing in the classroom. Yeah, but that and is telling us what books your kids can read, what curriculum
1: your kids can have. So you understand it's no, part no, of no, that broader I, issue. I, I totally get that, but let's look at this from thirty thousand feet. Yes. he took a position that many of his his employees care about. There, there are shareholders that are on a different side of this issue. But this entity, this company, is basically expressing their view about a legislation. Okay. That happens all the time. Companies are constantly weighing in and saying, I, "I'm an oil company. I don't have, like have environmental you, have policy." You, have you been
7: to Disney World? I have not. Oh, I've been to Disney World. I mean, not
1: since I was a kid. I haven't taken Jordan, uh,
7: uh, but I, I have. Let not. me tell you, I've been to Disney World to give speeches. Uh, I was part of uh, a national group uh, of hospitals that were caring for children, Children's Miracle Network. I was the keynote speaker. They were having their convention there. It is red. There are some blue people there. But you see the heartland of America. They're coming. They got the big turkey legs. They're standing on I I totally get The pilgrimage to Disney World. They save up all year to go to Disney World. So from a corporate viewpoint, they want people who are liberals to come with their families. They want people who are conservatives. They want apolitical. They want gays and lesbians and straights and transgenders. And so, by appearing to take one side or another on this well, issue, wait a
1: minute. But this is this gets down to the very nub of it: is when you fight for someone else's rights, are you diminishing your own at well, because, all? Well, of course not.
7: Because clearly, they're not doing that in Red China, where they have a Disney World.
1: No, I I, I get it. But if you, the, in many ways, and this is where it gets back to this notion: like, why should I care? These are corporations acting like corporations. We can be individual citizens and act the way I remember. There was a pizzeria There was a pizza company. I guess it was Domino's. Coors, beer. There are people that there are executives and government uh, and entities. Even though I gotta admit, I tried Chick Fil A for the first time the other day. It is good, man. It is good. Okay, but putting that aside, I don't want to get in trouble. But the the, the point I'm making is this: is corporations acting the way corporations act? They're trying to do work these balance. They care about their employees. They care about the locality that they're in. They care about they care about their shareholders. These are complicated things. The fight that's going on now is: Desantis is. Posturing that this is something bigger than it is and going in and saying, well imagine if it was just a, a citizen who wrote a letter to DeSantis I disagree with your with your with your policy and the guy says okay I'm going to remove the 30-hour speed limit from the uh, outside your house and make it a 60 mile an hour speed limit because I'm upset with well, your position
7: Well I think uh, the residents of Florida, regardless of their p- political affiliation because it really is a purple state so close yeah. in so many of these races, were shocked. shocked. At all the freebies that Disney got I was shocked at the fact that they really are, in many instances, independent and autonomous. They couldn't understand how a corporate entity could act as almost a government within the well,
1: government. Well, it's – Disney is no – corp. I mean that's – it's basically a city it's a whole infrastructure they have you know they employ so many people it's like the vatican it's and instead of the pope
7: bit, it's mickey and minnie it's a
1: little bit like that so anyway tell me why i should care like why does this affect me why does well, it affect my son why does it affect i don't i don't i, don't, I may own share i don't it, know it's,
7: it's bleeding into the bigger issue uh what should your children be subjected to uh, there are many class trips to disney there are many well, things well hold on that-
1: a second hold on a second what should my child be exposed to at disneyland no. i no, it or, goes
7: right into the classroom. Okay,
1: now. but the classroom debate is a whole different conversation well, than Disney, how Disney – Disney can take its position on the classroom debate. I can take a different position. Citizens can take their positions. Why are we treating the Disney position as any more important than anyone else's? Now, I have my position on it, but the point is even my position doesn't matter. It's not my kid. You, you, you In any battle, and you know this,
7: having been a very astute politician – You need a hero and you need a heel, depending on the people that you are trying to appeal to. DeSantis has turned Disney World and Disney into a heel. Exactly. And he is the champion in this cultural war. So you understand, to go at Disney then attracts a lot of people's attention so that then all of a sudden you can start telling them about the other issues you're involved with. I
1: think the culture wars are fake. They're created by politicians for the reasons you believe, to treat our public debates like professional wrestling with heels and heroes, and that what we need to focus on, we need to take a step back and say, what are the essential issues that face me and my family? And facing me and my family, maybe educational policies here in New York, maybe at the Board of Ed, maybe at our school, maybe the law enforcement issues that that, that are maybe the rights of of progress. I'm interested in in the progress of, of peoples all around the world. I get it. But this is manipulative. We are doing culture wars so we don't realize that there are real battles that we need to fight that really do impact us. Yeah,
7: but both sides are totally involved in this. Stuff.
1: I agree with that because there are a lot of people who, who, I mean, look, I'm not saying that I don't care about the rights of minority communities outside of my own neighborhood. I do. And I believe I should advocate. Well, I'll for give that. you an example. But this is manipulative. At
7: Let this us point. say you are not a political family. You're independent and autonomous. You're not married to one party or the other or a particular ideology. When you hear people say that you, as a parent, who send their children to public schools, uh, should not be involved in the process of determining what your child should be exposed to, immediately the parents' backs get out of joint. You see, when you say it that way. It really offends parents. You're saying, oh, basically, I dropped my kid off and I'm not entitled to know what the hell is well, going on in Well, let me frame in the, the issue a
1: different way. Yeah. The people making decisions for what's going to get taught by your teacher in your classroom are people in Albany who represent Syracuse, who represent Buffalo, who represent Plattsburgh. You think that's a good idea. Localized control of education doesn't mean the state legislature steps in and says, you can't say this teacher. You can't say that teacher. We have school boards. We have Parents' associations. We have principals. Right, we have teachers. Anthony, this is this is Anthony.
7: This gets back to Ocean Hill-Brownsville, what I grew up with. Forced busing. Albert Shankler was the head of the UFT, liberal, progressive. It was mostly uh, Jewish teachers at that time, and he was shocked that all of a sudden in the black community in Bed Stuy, they were saying, "We don't want your Jewish teachers. We don't want English. We want Swahili. We want African American studies." All of a sudden,
1: remember, it, it divided people. Right, but these it was the were – the
7: cultural war of that time. I
1: understand, but that was locality trying to figure out how to do the most local issue imaginable. And I'll say something else, and we can have a, a broader conversation about this subject on a, on another show. But this law that they were proposing that is now passed in Florida – says that if you are concerned that any of the things being discussed are not permitted under this law, you can sue the school board and get damages, okay? Is that really what we want? Parents suing their local school board because they don't like that something was mentioned and something was not. This is legislators and a governor in a state trying to manipulate this issue to divide us in ways that is unnecessary and destructive to the f- fabric of our country. These culture wars are created by politicians to get people stirred up and insecure about their future and to get them feeling in opposition to their community rather than a, a solidarity with well, their community. Speaking
7: of lawsuits, uh, there are so many that have been filed uh, on behalf of inmates and correctional officers on Rikers Island. And this week... Eric Adams was told by the U.S. Attorney of the Eastern District, be prepared for the federal government to take over Rikers Island. I think we should explore that from all points of view up next. That's why you're going to hear all different points of view when uh, Anthony Weiner joins yours truly, Curtis Slewa. Every Saturday, 2 to 4, you get the first hour, all Anthony. And then I join him at the hip. And we take it to the 4 o'clock hour. Whatever you miss, go right to your podcast at wabtradio.com. You've tried it all. Yoga, Tai Chi. you bent yourself around like a pretzel and yet you're still in pain. Don't pop any pain-killing pills. It's time to restore your freedom to live your life pain-free, and you can do that at Trinity Rehab. Trinity Rehab has the EPAT machine, FDA-approved, non-surgical acoustic pressure wave technology that's going to break up your scar tissue, enhances your healing, and gets rid of pain el rapido. It's effective for conditions like back and neck pain, tennis, elbow, shoulder, tendinitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. In just three five-minute sessions, you can be virtually pain-free, and you're not popping any pain. Killing Pills. They're all over New Jersey. Now in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wallwood Bridge, and two brand new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800 518 Or go to trinity-rehab.com That's trinity rehab
0: We all reach tipping points in life. The weight of a low paying job unpaid bills, a new family you can't keep going. That's where My Computer Career can help. In just months not years, they can help you start a new life as an IT pro even with no prior experience. Impossible? You learn online from home and My Computer Career offers lifetime career services to help you find jobs with companies begging for IT pros. Go to MyComputerCareer.edu and take the free career evaluation. It's not rocket science it's MyComputerCareer.edu Talk Radio 77, WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
7: Wow, this is a week. I should have done what my oldest son Anthony wants and take him to the uh, annual car show at Jacob Javits Center. After a two-year uh, hiatus because of uh, COVID, uh, a lot of people were coming and look at the uh, model cars. I didn't take Anthony because he was going to put the finger on me and say, I'm graduating high school, I want that brand-new Dodge Charger. And I would be forced to tell him, go get a paper out." and then he would tell me they won't let kids deliver newspapers. <laughs> but had I gone, I would have been walking around with Anthony, and I would have seen a guy of an Who is the head of corrections, uh, just appointed by Eric Adams when he was elected mayor? Molina, he's got a pretty good track record. Came out of Westchester County, uh, I think it was out in Clark uh, County in uh, uh, that is part of Vegas, right, Nevada, uh, and came in with high marks. Well, uh, he had a meeting with the uh, U.S. Attorney of the Eastern District. We're not talking like a Rudy Giuliani, you know, my way or the highway. brand new guy. And Molina and his staff blew it off because they felt it was more important to be at the annual Jacob Javits car show because they had some correctional vehicles that they were showcasing to the crowd, like they do police vehicles and everything. Well, U.S. Attorney Eastern District went crazy. And he sent a letter to Eric Adams and said, you know something? You're avoiding federal uh, oversight. Uh, We may just issue an order uh, to completely run rikers island and eric adams said please please don't do that give me a chance i just got into office boy would that be a black eye that would be a horrible embarrassment to the city of new york that we have to have the correctional department which houses about seven thousand five hundred inmates uh being run lock stock and barrel by the feds and not by the city of new york
1: yeah i mean you don't want Federal takeover of anything, you don't want state takeover of anything, and I think it's fair for Mayor Adams to say, give me a chance. I think a legitimate criticism of the Adams administration up to now is we haven't seen much in the way of, okay, what's your plan here? And as you know – This is, you can, it's the peeling of an onion. There are so many different problems going on at Rikers. You've got more people there than are supposed to be there. You have an intake system that is completely broken. People are supposed to be in intake for no more than a few hours have to live there. They're given plastic bags to defecate in. You've got a problems of, of suicides. You have a problem of violence. You have a problem of correction officers not showing up and, and the correction officers who are there are completely worn out. And and so this is, and then on top of it all, We should not have a conversation about changing the bail laws to to hold more people on bail without realizing where they're going to be held. It's at Rikers Island. So all of that being said, it does seem like this was a, a mistake by the Adams administration not to at least try to do everything possible to make the case that there shouldn't be a takeover. I don't think there's going to be. I think they are going to give Adams a little more time. I, you know, it would have to be a court order. But there are so many times that the courts have already weighed in with the with with the city of New York and said, if you don't fix this situation, we're gonna. And, um, you know, but I, I I'll say this also, though, I'm not so sure that a federal oversight or uh, or federal running of the prisons will get much better outcome. You know, these problems are endemic. They are really big problems, and this is why I think De Blasio did a terrible disservice. By floating his proposal to build neighborhood jails and then basically walking away from it, not advocating it, not really fighting for it or against it, just kind of sitting on it and, and handing it off like a time bomb uh, to, to to Mayor Adams. But we better figure it out because it's out of sight for many of us, but it it should not be. It costs the city of New York an enormous amount of money. If we wind we're paying lawsuit after lawsuit. There are There are people that are going there. That are not coming out because of suicide, because of violence in there, who, and many of the people who are there, there are some people there who have committed at, who have committed crimes and are being held there for short periods of time as criminals. But there are a lot of people there who are just waiting to be processed, and even that process is broken. Well, I,
7: I think the main thing is it uh, has to be a realization that the correctional uh, officers do not control so many of the tiers. They're controlled by gangs, whether they're Bloods or Crips or Trinitarios or MS-13. You have emotionally disturbed inmates who uh, cannot get proper care there. They're a danger to themselves, a danger to the other inmates, a danger to the correctional officers. And the disciplinary uh, procedures that were used to keep the inmates in check, I know this firsthand because I was housed on Rikers Island a few times, no longer exists. Even when there's like, let's say, Hypothetically, a riot taking place. It used to be that some of the well-trained correctional officers would get their hats and bats and they'd have their body armor on. They're not permitted to do that any longer. So it's a license for anarchy and chaos. And hopefully Eric Adams starts paying a few trips out there and visibly showing that he's going to do something about it.
1: Yeah.